be the brand. You want to be known for representing yourself in a certain way. You have an expectation that you have set for your organization, for what you do. You have to embody that brand. Welcome to Agency for Change, a podcast from Kid Glove that brings you the stories of changemakers who are actively working to improve our communities. In every episode, we'll meet with people who are making a lasting impact in the places we call home. Few careers receive the same amount of criticism as journalism. While playing such an important role in keeping us informed, holding corporations and the government accountable, and even providing entertainment. But it's a changing field. Today's journalists need a wide range of skills to do their jobs, encompassing everything from digital tools to web literacy, photo and video editing, social media, and more. Preparing these future journalists for such a multifaceted role is a challenge all its own. And we're going to hear from someone who is doing just that at the college level by helping to shape the next generation of news gatherers as an educator. Hi everyone, this is Kelly Peterson, Vice President and Nonprofit Creative Director at KidGlove. Today on the Agency for Change podcast, we're speaking with Dr. Sherry Vale. Dr. Vale is a professor and dean of the College of Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, which is preparing the communications leaders of tomorrow through hard work, collaborative problem solving, and the ethical pursuit of truth to uphold democracy. Sherry, I'm eager to talk with you today and learn more about the great impact you are making on the world. Thank you, Kelly. You bet. Sherry, for those who aren't familiar with the journalism program at UNL, could you tell us a little about it and what makes it so special? I'd be happy to. I think the first thing to point out is that journalism is just one of our majors in the college. We have four, journalism, broadcasting, advertising and public relations, and sports media and communication. We also have two master's degrees, professional journalism and integrated media communication, and we have two graduate certificates in financial communication, and then another one in public relations and social media. I think what makes us so special is that Every faculty member in our college came to education from the industry. Even our tenured research professors had at least a decade of industry experience before coming into academia. And even now, almost 40% of our classes are taught by faculty who are still working full-time in the profession and teaching on the side, working with our students. Well, I'm so glad you said that, that it takes real-world experience, especially because I'm out here doing it every day, and so are all of the other colleagues that, ha- that I have gone to the University of Nebraska with and more. So, Sherry, before we get too far into this interview, I must ask, because I'm dying to know, in preparing for this episode, we asked you to tell us a unique thing about you, and you said, I spent the night on an aircraft carrier, and I'm not in the Navy. How did 
that happen? <laughs> sure. I had worked with the commander of the Naval Air Force Atlantic to evaluate their Sailor for a Day campaign. And what they did for the campaign is they would fly out journalists for a couple days on an aircraft carrier during their training runs. And then the journalists would be able to go around and interview sailors from their local communities. And I went along for one of the trips in order to interview the journalists in that process. And then when they came back, I analyzed the media coverage of the campaign. So I have my tailhook certificate showing that I caught a trap on a C2 Greyhound. And I was also catapulted off the next day. Uh, very difficult to sleep on the top bunk in an aircraft carrier when there are planes smashing into the deck all night long, but really incredible experience. And even just walking the deck because they shut everything down for everyone to walk the deck to look for any kind of hairpin, screw, bolt, whatever it is, anything that could throw off the system. It was a, it was a really incredible experience. Oh Thought my god! Just a moment about joining in the Navy. <laughs> just a second, huh? Yeah. Well, that is a great story and something that you can always say that not everyone has had that experience. So a good story to tell when you're at something and say, I bet you don't know this about me. <laughs> just like today, right? I'd love to hear more about your experience, whether they happened on an aircraft carrier or not. So Sherry, when you think about your previous roles, which ones helped you prepare you the most to be a professor and a dean? You know, my last position, I uh, was at the University of Kentucky, and I was chair of the Department of Communication and also associate dean for undergraduate affairs. So working with students, overseeing faculty, I think that position probably prepared me most for the administrative part of being a dean. But really, the, what prepared me for the other side of being a dean, fundraising, promoting what we do as a college, that came from my own professional experience before I turned to academia. I mean, I've worked for a hockey team, a hospital, a real estate firm, and I can tell you that selling dasher boards and in-ice logos and promoting groundbreaking healthcare advances in the quarterly magazine and monthly wellness publication they're not that much different than identifying sponsors for the Experience Lab, writing the alumni newsletter. So a lot of the skills that I use today as dean are skills that I used when I first started out in the industry in communications. Even more stories to tell us. <laughs> Selling sponsorships for Icebox. Wow. <laughs> that it, I had no idea that was in your background. Yeah. Junior A, the Bismarck Bobcats Junior A hockey team. I was the director of marketing and sales. I love that so much. Well, we talked a little bit before the show started about that your wardrobe has, has turned from blue to red, and now we know the reason why. But we do have a local hockey team that maybe you could wear some blue <laughs> again <laughs> at. Who knew you had that up your sleeve? <laughs> I talked at the top of the show, but I'm wondering if you can give me your thoughts as well. With the field of journalism changing so quickly, it feels like the College of Journalism and Mass Communications has especially a tough job preparing students for a career that's shifting absolutely all of the time. What is the college doing to accomplish this? 
So I think the biggest change that we have implemented in the last couple of years has really been the launch of the Experience Lab. And that is to prepare students to be able to grow and evolve along with the industry. So the Experience is set up as a hands-on experiential learning program. We have multiple programs from Nebraska News Service to our student-run agencies where students are working with professionals and residents like yourself. <laughs> Uh, as well as the student leads and the faculty liaisons to develop content, build strategy, write stories, produce a live news show. I mean, they are getting in and gaining that hands-on experience and they can move around in different aspects of the experience lab so that they can figure out what is the best fit for them, but also so that they get that experience of not just how to write a really good nut graph, but how do you work with a client? How do you work with the client who's upset? <laughs> How do you get in an interview during a short time constraint when you're trying to catch a senator in between one of during the legislative session? I mean, there are so many different aspects of the hands-on experience that are just essential to preparing our students to be able to go directly into the industry. Ooh, I want to talk more about this experience lab. It's one of my favorite things that I've had the opportunity to do as of late. And we have a meeting once a week and every one of those students gathers. And I cannot tell you that there is a matched energy to what those students have at the start of that meeting. And it's just a buzz like no other. But talk to me about the experience lab. You've described it as a hands-on experience. What does that mean and why is it better than a traditional classroom experience? I wouldn't say it's better than. I would say it's complementary because students still need the fundamentals and they need to understand the ethical and legal implications of their actions, but they also need to experience firsthand what the industry is like. They need to know those pressures of a deadline, how to work with that unhappy client. They need to get in, they need to experiment, they need to play, fall in love with media. That's what we want them to be able to do in the experience lab. We also want them to be able to fail fabulously <laughs> here where they have the guidance of the professionals and residents and the faculty liaisons to support them. This is their opportunity to figure out if this is the right fit for them. I would much rather have a student come in in their first, second semester working in the experience lab and find out this is not what they should be doing than to spend four years getting their degree and getting out there and finding this isn't the right career choice for them. At the same time, if a student doesn't really know what they want to do, this is a place to come in and figure it out. Find which is the right fit, move around, see what it's like to work in the industry, talk to those professionals and residents so that you can follow their career path or create your own. I just love the name of it because it gives that feeling. Yes, experience lab. <laughs> Go in, get that experience, figure it out. And I love also what you said about having time to play and also giving it that it's failing with a safety net uh, and before they get out in the real world. And it's just, it's a neat opportunity. So for students who go through this program, what kind of careers do they end up in? And as you said before, they probably don't all end up as journalists, but some do. Are there other communication roles that you see them land in? Yes, <laughs> they go anywhere and everywhere. I mean, we definitely have journalists. We have students right now who are doing their internship this summer at The Hill, 
We had one of our graduates from this last year was part of the Pulitzer Prize winning team for the New York Times. And she just graduated here in 2020. We have students at the LA Times. We have them all over the country. Uh, they're working for CNN. They're also working for the Norfolk Daily News, the weekly paper out in Aurora. They're working for 1011. They're at Kid Glove. They're at Bailey Lowerman. They're at the Boys and Girls Club. They're at Bay High. So every industry needs communicators. And our students are filling those roles from corporate communication, nonprofit, sports, sports promotion is a whole other area that's exploding. We're actually looking at developing some pieces here for esports, as that has become a billion dollar industry now. So one of the things that's great about a career in the communications field, whichever direction you go, whether it's promotion, whether it's journalism, anything along that line, is that you're needed everywhere. And really, your ability to tell a good story is what is going to make you qualified for all of these different roles. And that's what we do here. Spoken so true. And Kid Glove thanks you because we <laughs> definitely have a need and every industry does need good communicators and good marketers to tell their stories for their brands and just for them personally. And working with students, it's been so enriching too to, yes, tell their own brand stories and promote themselves so they can get those careers that you spoke of if that's something that they want all the way from the New York Times to the Nor Norfolk. And I can't remember, is it a Tribune? <laughs> I don't remember what the Daily News. <laughs> the Daily News. Yes. So all of those, you're welcome, Norfolk Daily News, for that plug. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure to let you know we spoke about you today. And my next question is, do you ever hear from your students after they graduate? And you've already answered to that is absolutely. If you have someone already working on some really great projects like Pulitzer Prizes and things, are there any memories of former students that stand out to you that you could share? You know, actually, when I first came on as dean, I did a listening tour. So meeting with alumni, I did it by decades as kind of reunions. I also did it by cities to bring folks together. And so I heard lots of stories about old faculty throughout the years. And one, one individual actually kept coming back, uh, and that was Rick Alloway, where he came up over and over again in those sessions where it was comments of, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know what my major was going to be. I was going down a dark path or whatever it would be. And it all ended with, and then I met Rick Alloway. And just the stories that they told about him really had an impact on me to the point that I worked with another one of his former students, Ford Clark, and we nominated him for the Nebraska Broadcasters Hall of Fame, which he will be inducted into uh, this next fall. And actually, we're going to have a big party for him on June 11th. There's going to be a big KRNU celebration at the Bourbon Theater. There'll be specialty drinks and we'll have appetizers and cocktails and uh, really cool KRNU merchandise. But all of it is around celebrating the 50th anniversary of KRNU and also celebrating Rick's induction into the Hall of Fame. So um, I think those stories were just I heard them over and over again. It was so meaningful that I, I thought it was essential that we make sure that Rick knows the impact that he's had on our students. 
Absolutely. What a great event coming up to celebrate. I'll have to make sure to get that on my calendar as well. I personally ran into Rick just the other day. We were walking up to the Experience Lab together and I said, what you got going on today? And he said, you just never know what those students have going on and I can't wait to find out. So I loved that statement coming from him about how he supports 100% what the students are doing at all times and it's not his limelight, it's theirs. So that sounded like a perfect Rick statement to come from uh, as we walked up the stairs together. So, so great. I'm sure you've heard people say that journalism is dead. Where does that idea even come from? And how do you typically respond when someone says that? You know, I think a lot of it comes from where we're at right now with newspapers in the industry. I mean, we've gone uh, from advertising being the primary way that newspapers uh, were able to make money and to be able to continue. And that's changed drastically as most things have gone online and now we're more focused on digital subscriptions than uh, the actual print pieces. I mean, we're down to two privately owned daily papers in the entire state of Nebraska. The others are owned by big hedge funds. A um, lot of um, many, many papers all owned by the same companies and they're cutting staff and honestly killing off papers. We have huge news deserts across rural states throughout the country. And when most of your news is coming from the East Coast or the West Coast, there's a whole lot being missed in the middle. We also have essentially opinion pushers calling themselves news analysts, but being considered journalists when they are not journalists. Anyone with a Twitter handle can share information. That does not make them a journalist. But I do think that there is hope. I mean, we've had a huge increase in nonprofit and focused uh, journalism entities. Uh, we also have a lot of people who are investing in journalism, who are choosing to make that commitment, whether it's investing in these nonprofit outfits or even, I mean, we have billionaires buying newspapers right now, which sounds terrifying, but I'm seeing those news staffs increase. I'm seeing them higher. I'm seeing changes happening within our own college. We had, we just received an incredible $4.65 million gift from an alumni in order to hire two new faculty focused on depth reporting, to be able to take that full semester, even a full year, focusing on one story from multiple angles where they're doing the research, they're pursuing truth to uphold democracy. It's what we stand for here at the college, what journalism, true journalists stand for across the industry. So journalism is definitely not dead. It is changing. It's evolving. Just like all the rest of our industries because of the changes in technology, we have to grow and adapt along with the industry. Yes, for sure. And that is so exciting to even think about. We wouldn't want it to stay the same. So we have to evolve and become something different than we once were. And yes, we may miss some of those pieces. We will have those memories, but think about the possibilities of the future. It's just so exciting. And just to hear you talk about that depth of reporting and that there are funders out there, as you mentioned, supporting that 
journalism is not dead and this is going to help change the world by getting truth and those things out uh, where we can. And it is going to still remain a profession, a very professional profession. And I'm glad to see, you know, that my dog that is a social media influencer is not a journalist, nor do I think that he is. So (laughs) it is okay to separate those things and use those channels for, for what they're meant for at the appropriate times. So at Kid Glove, one of the discussions we've had around diversity and inclusion is that there needs, there is a need for greater representation in advertising. I'm wondering if journalism struggles with the same issues, and if so, what's being done to improve it? Absolutely. Uh, Well, one, as I mentioned earlier, when you have major news organizations are both on the coast, a lot of people being missed in the middle of the country. Educational backgrounds, socioeconomic status, diversity in terms of racial background, uh, ethnic background, all of that is key to having diverse voices in our media, diverse voices in the advertising side of things, as well as journalism. And what we've been focusing on here at the college is looking a little closer to home. I mean, we do have diversity in Nebraska. It's not always easy to find, but it is here. And we need to be focusing on how we can bring those voices to the table. So uh, some of what we've been doing is working with Boys and Girls Club, and bringing them out. They're actually one of the clients of Bowie that you've been working with, but bringing them here for some workshops uh, that we do right here at the college. We also have a grant from the Cooper Foundation uh, that we receive where we're working with the new Bay High. So if you're not familiar with Bay High, it is one of the alternative high school programs here in Lincoln. It'll just be starting off here in the fall. And it's really an opportunity for students to take their generals or their required courses back at their homeschool, but then they get bussed out to Bay High and they're focused on digital storytelling, which is a perfect tie to what we do here. So we have the grant that we received is allows us to send a faculty member out to Bay High to develop an after school program. And the students who are working in that after school program creating media content. If they are doing it for the same number of hours that they would be doing it here on campus for the experience lab, we're working to get them college credit now while they're still in high school so that it's a smooth transition from Bay High to the College of Journalism and Mass Communications. Wow, I love that innovation. That's all kinds of great new movement within uh, journalism and just mass communications, like you said. Wow. I hadn't heard about Bay High, and I'm excited to learn more about that particular program. In your opinion, what are the best and the worst trends happening in journalism today? We'll start with the worst. The worst is the news analyst's who are being seen as journalists. Uh, Worst is the echo chamber that we are able to create for ourselves uh, with our social and traditional media, even channels, where we're just getting right back what we put out into the world. We're not hearing different ideas, different perspectives, when we can easily block anyone who says something that might be against our current belief system. We're never going to get beyond our understanding of the world if we aren't open to diverse perspectives. So I think that is 
by far one of the worst trends uh, in the last five to 10 years. What I see as the good things coming in, one, uh, as I mentioned, the focus on investing in journalism. We are over the idea of fake news and people being able to claim something as fake without having to do the research on it. And people are investing in doing the research. We have entire classes that are essentially research courses in order to understand what is true and what is not. And we've always had that issue. I mean, throughout society, I mean, rumor mills are not new, right? <laughs> but we are building the systems now to do that analysis and to help people understand whether or not there's a verifiable source. What are those sources? And people are being more critical of the media that they're consuming. And that's what we want to get to. I see that as the big push moving forward is getting past this idea of, oh, well, it's just fake news and shrugging it off and actually investing in what is the source? What should we be doing? And this generation coming up right now, they are incredible. I mean, I've heard the comment of my generation, Gen X, we are the rebel without a cause, right? These are, these are rebels with causes. They're invested. They care about what's happening in society and they're willing to do that research to make sure they are making decisions that are best for them and for society. So even looking at from the, the advertising marketing side of things, understanding social advocacy is going to be key for organizations because people will vote with their dollars as to whether or not you are, you are aligning with their expectations of you as a member of the society. Wow. So, uh, so much, my brain is full of things to think about in response <laughs> to that, what you just said, as we spoke about before, it's neat to hear that those investments are going to be happening within journalism and encouraging all at the same time. Of this is going to change. And I also hadn't heard about this echo chamber. And you're so right, because sometimes we don't even know we're doing it to ourselves. Because of course, uh, all those algorithms are doing whatever we may have selected by wanting to purchase a certain pair of earrings that all of a sudden is serving up you all different kinds of things that those are also aligned with. So it's just, you don't even know sometimes and you do have to get deeper and go and search out those different things that aren't in your regular lineup. So with those best and worst, how do you see these things changing in the next five to 10 years? I think we will see continued uh, focus on nonprofit journalism. I think we will continue to see some of the smaller communities losing their newspapers and become more of regional uh, news the only way that we're going to really curb that trend is if we focus on rebuilding our rural communities. And there is potential in that, especially as we've understood that you can live anywhere and work anywhere else, right? We learned that through COVID. You can work from home and do a really good job. You do not have to specifically be there. And I think that will, one, it'll increase the diversity of our programs uh, of our industries throughout the world, but it also provides that opportunity of getting young people back into more rural communities. I think that's going to be what we really need in order to continue to keep news in the rural community, keep those community newspapers alive, 
we need to have young people choosing to make that investment back in their own home community or moving to a smaller community. So I think there is definite potential for that as long as we don't get so tight in whether or not we allow people to live and work in different places. I think there is potential there. Uh, I think there's opportunities, uh, as I mentioned, from a social advocacy standpoint, corporations are going to step up and be much more involved in politics moving forward. Sounds very scary to some, but really, if they want to keep their employees, you look at what's been happening with Disney and uh, the bills in Florida right now, uh, you have to be engaged and know what's happening in politics and be able to step up in order to support your employees. And I think that's going to be a continuing trend over the next five to 10 years. So my particular area of research is crisis communication and issues management. So as far as career opportunities for those coming out of public relations, I expect there will be plenty of jobs in the area of issues management, crisis communication, social advocacy, corporate advocacy, and companies are going to need it. Yes, we are. The world's going to need it. Um, and that isn't necessarily a sky is falling at all. Yeah. It's a evolving, as we talked about earlier. Everything is evolving, and we need to figure out how to do that in the most peaceful and positive way we can with everything going on in the world, for sure. When you spoke about rural communities, especially in Nebraska, it reminded me of a previous podcast guest that uh, the Agency for Change has had on, Jeff Yost from the Nebraska Community Foundation, and their work in re-engaging some of those rural communities. And it'll be great to see the organizations like that one and the University of Nebraska just and students themselves going back into their hometowns and really making things happen. And you can see the possibilities, especially they've recently done a transfer of wealth study that's very interesting to look at as well and in, in seeing how we can keep this and enrich those communities into the future and doing that. So it's neat when two podcast guests' itineraries collide. So, and I wouldn't call it a collision. I would call that more of a synergy, right? Well, if you think of what we could do, I mean, we have the the rural health opportunities program, right? Where essentially if nurses go out into more rural communities, they're able to get uh, their student loans paid off. What if we did that for journalists? I mean, mm -hmm. think of what that do when we are, this isn't just people who write great little articles about their hometown. This is protecting our democracy. This is making sure that there are journalists at those city council meetings, that they are at those school board meetings, that they are sharing the information of what's happening in the community, that they're watching for the good and the bad that is out there. And they are publishing stories about it. It's not just a newsletter for the community. It's not just a wonderful brochure about all the great things happening. There is truth that needs to be told, even in those rural communities. And we need journalists there to tell those truths. Yes, we do. And in addition to those journalists being there, we also need innovative and creative minds, which also reminds me of another podcast guest that we had with 
the Nebraska Arts Council and their initiative of creative districts that are also all over the state. And so when you think about journalism and mass communications and even the marketing communications side, a lot of that is visually creative or performing creative, all of those things. And I think that the creative district program is going to highlight some of those as well. And that's just going to enrich every one of those communities is also. So it's such exciting stuff. We could talk for days and hours. <laughs> uh, and another, uh, I've been known to say recently, I just want to hug the state of Nebraska. And <laughs> I get excited about talking with changemakers like you, Sherry, for this reason alone. And it does make me want to just hug our state and the people all within it because we do some really neat, innovative, creative, thought-provoking, and truth-seeking ventures, and that is cool. So, Sherry, I'm inspired by motivational quotes. Could you give us a few of your own words of wisdom for our listeners? So, I did think about this one, and I, I would say I've become known for two particular lines. One is, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't have time to procrastinate. And it kind of goes back to the, you want something done, give it to a busy person because they're going to get it done. They're not going to put it off because they've got other things to do. Uh, and I think sometimes we sell ourselves short on what all we can accomplish. Uh, so that was one that my graduate students often heard me say when they're, they're worried about all their busy workload, like, ah, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't have time to procrastinate. And the other one, which my, my staff has heard, faculty have heard, students have heard, and that is be the brand. You want to be known for representing yourself in a certain way. You have an expectation that you have set for your organization, for what you do, you have to embody that brand. And you were joking earlier about my red suit. It's all part of it. Be that brand. I feel as dean of the college, I represent the journal. I represent journalism. I represent advertising and public relations, broadcasting, sports media and communication, all of our majors. I represent our students. I represent the university. I represent the state. And I accept that. I take that on as being part of my own personal brand, which means I'm always thinking about, am I representing the state, the university, my students, my faculty, all of that in the best way I possibly can. So anytime something feels hard or I've got a busy day or something's coming on, you know, looking ahead down the calendar, it's take a deep breath, be the brand. Let's go. You can do it. Absolutely. Well, I think you are doing a amazing and fantastic job, both of those. I think the first line that you mentioned about procrastination, you may be just singing my personal anthem. <laughs> and then your second line, I think you may just be singing Kid Gloves anthem. So we are all about uh, helping organizations, individuals reach that personal being their brand. And that, that's a, it's a great way to be. So for our listeners who would like to learn more about your work and how, how can they find out more about 
the College of Journalism and Mass Communications. Uh, easy to find. Quick Google search, you'll end up on our page. If you want to talk to me directly, email me directly, vale at unl.edu. Happy to chat. Love to have folks out to show them what we're building here, whether it's the Experience Lab or our new studio that's being put in this summer. Love to show off what we're building here at Nebraska. Can't wait to see that new studio. I'm looking forward to it. Sherry, as we wrap up our time together today, what is the most important thing you would like our listeners to remember about the work you're doing? Journalism is not dead. We have so much happening right now, not just in journalism, but across broadcasting, a huge increase in jobs coming up in media production and editing, like 33% increase in the next 10 years. It's huge opportunities. As far as working in advertising, public relations, I think folks know well that there are job opportunities there. Sports industry is taking off, especially in the sports promotion side of things. Esports launching in that direction. There are jobs, there are opportunities, and you can come in and create your own career out of the College of Journalism and Mass Communications. We have incredibly industry-focused faculty who are here to support and encourage you along the way. We have amazing partners in the community. Our professionals and residents and our industry partners are there to support and encourage you along the way. Just know that you have a home here in Nebraska and we'll take good care of you. Sherry, I fully believe that the world needs more change makers like you. Thank you for taking the time to share with us today. Thank you, this was fun. We hope you enjoyed today's Agency for Change podcast. To hear all our interviews with those who are making a positive change in our communities or to nominate a changemaker you'd love to hear from, visit kidglove.com at K-I-D-G-L-O-V.com to get in touch. As always, if you like what you've heard today, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.